Right, good morning. Um, today we are continuing our summer series in the Psalms, which is a bit of a mouthful. Um, but uh, we're making a big leap forward today. So last week we were in Psalm 27. This week we're heading towards the end of the Psalms and we are going to end up in Psalm 145. Turn this on. There you go. So we'll end up in Psalm 145 today, uh, which is described as a psalm of praise. Um, When David suggested that we spend some time in the psalms over the summer and uh, asked if I would choose one (laughs) to preach, I found that actually a bit daunting. I'd just been reading through the psalms in my devotions, which was lucky because I at least had a good head around them all, or not that I kept them all in my head, but... Uh, <laughs> I'd at least read them recently. <clears throat> but the problem it was actually not that there wasn't one that stood out, was that too many of them stood out. They were just all so significant that you're like, how do you choose one of these masterpieces to talk about? Um, and then a couple of days later, after he asked me to, to choose a psalm, um, I got to this place in the psalms, to Psalm 145, Uh, The first time I read through it, I actually, it didn't say that much to me. I was like, well, it's a psalm of praise, great. Um, I was a little bit put off because it starts with, I will extol. And I thought that's sort of archaic language. I actually don't know what that means completely. I roughly know it's praise or something like that, but um, I don't know what he's talking about. So I then thought I'll read it through. And that's what I do most mornings, actually, is I would read through the passage again and try and find something that stands out and speaks to me within it. And so I did, um, reading it again slowly, and it was actually the first few verses that caught my attention. And you'll find actually this word extol was one of the ones that did the most to grab my attention. Um, So I've spent a fair bit of time over the last few weeks living in the psalm. And letting it live in me, it's changed the way that I do my daily routines. Um, and I found that my faith is growing as I've done this. Um, and I'd like to suggest that if you allow the psalm to live in you, and if you live in it, that it will change the way that you think, it will change the way that you act. Although, of course, this is true probably of any scripture that you allow to live in you. But let's read the psalm together. So Psalm 145. Um, I'm going to read it through all at once and then what we'll do is we'll go back and we'll work through it section by section. I'm just actually going to go straight in the same order it is in as we talk through it. So it starts, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness 
and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and he has mercy over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So we're going to work through the psalm bit by bit. This section at a time. Don't get too worried in this first section. I'm going to spend most of my time here. So if you think I've just get to the end of verse 3 and we've most of the way through the morning, I'm going to go quicker through the last bit. Um, it starts, verse 1, with I will extol. Um, and David, like I say, this word extol was actually the word that put me off the psalm to start with. But a um, bit archaic. But it grabbed me when I started reading the psalm again more slowly and took time to consider what it meant and what he was saying. So the word extol uh, comes from the Hebrew word rum, which is transliterated, transliterated with a R-U-M, but pronounced rum apparently. And basically it means to raise up, to lift up, to cause to grow or to exalt. So... Um, what does that mean? How can David cause God to grow? How can David lift God up in any sort of way? God is the king of kings. His heaven, heaven are his throne, the earth of his footstool. What can David do to promote God? How can he raise God up in any way? Um, it's obvious that, God, that David can't do this. So it's, he's not talking physically. He's not talking about actually improving God's position in any way, uh, physically, because he can't do that. So he must be either talking about lifting him up in his own mind and in his own life, so raising him up and giving him priority um, in his own mind, or he's talking about lifting him up to other people and, and speaking well of him and helping them to see his goodness and his greatness and his amazingness. Um, and I suspect that as we read through this, we'll find that it's both, um, that he lifts him up in his own mind and he also lifts him up in the minds of others. So David by st started by saying, I will extol and bless. 
And he continues by saying, every day I will bless. So Ruth, in her sermon on Psalm 91, very helpfully pointed out that the words I will indicate that a decision has been made. David has decided that this is what he is going to do. But I'd like to intensify that a bit and say that he's not only decided to do it, but he's committed to do it. And he's committed to doing it every day and forever. So every day I will bless your name. Forever and ever I'll bless your name and praise your name forever and ever. So this is a commitment that he's made, but he's not done it just, I'll I'll do this occasionally, he's going to do it daily. Uh, David is committed to disciplining himself to do this when he feels like it and when he doesn't feel like it. In reality, I think that when David wrote the psalm, it was probably at a time when he had just been brought through a really tough time. He had seen God's faithfulness and his greatness, and he was in the mood to praise God. And he wrote this psalm down, which is maybe a good time to write something, a commitment like this down. But um, he commits to do it even when life is difficult and when he doesn't find it easy to praise God. And that's important, I think. When God has lifted us out of our troubles, it's easy to praise him to lift them up in our minds. But if we discipline ourselves to extol them daily, it'll give us a confidence and a peace as we face troubles because we know that God is greater than any trouble that we are facing. In Pentecostal charismatic circles, we sometimes shy away from discipline and structure because we think that it limits the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, And we can feel that these plans and commitments are too structured. But this is not biblical. For example, the Spirit inspires Scripture. And you can see in any Scripture that we read that it is actually very well structured and that there's purpose behind it. And this psalm in particular is one of the alphabetical psalms. So each section starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet and works through it. So David had a structure, he had a pattern to follow when he was writing the psalm, but he was still inspired by the Spirit to write it. And in the New Testament, Paul tells us that we need to train ourselves for godliness. How do we train ourselves for godliness unless we have discipline and structure? Making a commitment like David has made to lift God up daily, I believe is one way of training ourselves for godliness. So what does it look like? Well, in reality, like we've said, God is above everything else. But sometimes we don't have him in a, there in the rightful place in our minds. We don't have him set above everything else. We allow worries. We allow joys. We allow busyness. We allow good things and bad things to take first place in our thoughts. And we allow them to have a magnitude in our lives that they don't deserve. So we extol God by putting him first above everything else in our life. We lift him high above everything else, whatever occupies our time, our mind, and our resources. Whether good or bad, we lift God higher than these things. And we do this because of who God is. So we can lift God above rejection because God is love. He died because he loved us so much that he wanted to restore relationship with us. We are not rejected by God. We lift God above sickness because he is our healer. 
He's the great physician. He conquered sickness and death on the cross. He created us. He knows how we're made. He, he, he made us out of dust. Surely he can heal anything that we have. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He cares about us. And he knit us together in our mother's womb. We can lift him above our finances and financial worries because he is the provider. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, he created everything and he has unlimited resources. So why seek anything but him? We lift God above our pain because he is the great high priest and a perfect sacrifice. Surely he has borne our pain and carried our grief. We lift God above our hopes and dreams because he is our inheritance. Anything worldly that we want can be counted as garbage compared to knowing him. And he has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. We lift God above our careers because he is our purpose and he is our provider. If we seek him first, he will direct our paths. He is the one who raises people up and brings them down. We lift God above our anxiety because he is our peace. Because we can cast our burdens onto him because he cares for us. We lift God above depression because he is our light and in him there is no darkness at all. He has paid the price for our sin and in, them, in him there is no condemnation. We lift God above people's opinions about us because he is truth. It's what he says that really matters. May God be found true and every man a liar. We lift God above authorities. Any authority that scares us because he is the king of kings. There is no authority in heaven or on earth that is higher than him. When the nations rage and the kings of the earth plot against him, he sits on his throne and laughs. So lifting God up above the different things in our lives is something that we can do daily. And it's something that I've been trying to do daily. As I drive into work, I think about what's ahead of me in work and I try and lift them above the situations that I think I'm going to face. Um, if I know that there's a big meeting on or there's somebody troubled that I have to counsel or whatever there is that's in work, I lift God above that. I left God above coming to speak to you guys and my nervousness of getting up in front of people and speaking because he is the one who made my tongue. I left God above everything in my life. And I try and do that because he is the one who is able to conquer it all. And if I focus on him and the fact that he can do it, then it builds my faith and it helps me to face those challenges in a different way. David commits to extol God. And he also commits to bless God. So I think all of these are linked. So to extol, to bless, and to praise are all going to be linked a bit. But I don't know about you. Have you ever been confused as to how we can bless God? Um, I mean, God blesses us. He is able to give us stuff. But what can we give to God that he needs? How do we bless God? Uh, so I looked at blessing and tried to find out where it was and what it meant. Um, and it seems to be that it often is linked with praise. So even in this psalm, it says that he's going to bless God forever and ever and that he will praise God forever and ever. So they seem to be used a bit interchangeably. So at a very basic level, blessing God is, is praising God. Um, 
It's just using a different word. So it's a bit like saying, I will extol God or I'll magnify God. Both of them are making God bigger than our problems or higher than our problems around us. Um, so it means the same sort of thing. Um, but he does use the word bless, and it's obviously been used before. And why has it come into a way of using it to praise God? Well, to bless is barak in Hebrew, which means to bend the knee. So whenever it's used, you see God blesses us, barak. We bless God, barak. But it is also used for bending the knee. So when the camel kneels down to have somebody put a load on their back or for somebody to mount up, it baraks. So it's something about bending the knee. Um, and I saw one guy commentating on this, and he says that, that, that God bends his knee to bless Abraham so that Abraham has, has been blessed. He's got stuff. He's been looked, you know, God has humbled himself to bless Abraham in some way. And then Abraham then bends his knee with all the blessings that he's got from God to bless the nations around him. And that's the purpose. So we are served by God, by him humbling himself and serving us. And then we humble ourselves to serve others. Or if we're going to bless God, we humble ourselves before God and serve him. So it's praising God in a way that is serving him and humbling ourselves before him and submitting to him. Um, this is slightly different from the word praise, which comes from the root word to shine. And um, so praising God is more like putting a spotlight on God. It's showing his goodness and his grace and his mercy. And uh, so he's blessing God, humbling himself before him, and he's praising God by putting a spotlight on his greatness and all the wonderful things he does. He's making God the center of everything. Verse three, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. The praise that we're able to give to something or someone is directly proportional to how great the thing actually is. So if something is just okay, we can maybe find a couple of nice things to say about it, but we soon run out. We certainly couldn't praise it every day. But I love the fact that this verse says that his greatness is unsearchable. Um, it cannot be measured. We can't find the end of his greatness. Um, so we can commit to lifting God up and praising him every day and blessing his name and extolling him above everything in our life because we're not going to run out of things to praise him for. We're not going to run out of greatness to God um, because his greatness is unsearchable. The more that we realize how great God is, the more we can extol him about it, above everything in our lives. If we're able to see his significance and his glory and how great he is, then it puts everything else into perspective. Lifting God up in our minds, extolling him and declaring truth about him in praise daily changes the way that we think and it builds our faith. And I think that that's really important and I'm going to try and explain that. So basically, we have a battle going on. Uh, and then a lot of that battle is going on in our minds. Um, the devil wants to create doubt in us by telling us lies about who God is. And these are the fiery darts of the evil one. And he fires them at us constantly. Um, but we need to take those lies and cast them down. 
We need to believe God's word above everything else. The faith that we develop by raising God up daily becomes our shield of faith against the fiery darts of the evil one. So we cannot think in the same way as an unbelieving person, as one of our unbelieving neighbors, and expect to win spiritual battles. Because if we're thinking in the same way as somebody else who doesn't know about God, then we'll believe the lies of the evil one. So we need to think differently and we need to God to transform the way that we think. Um, and part of doing that is by praising him daily. And if we can do this, then it'll change the way that we look at the giants that we face, the mountains that are surrounding us, because we can put them above all of those things. 1 Corinthians 10.3 for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and left every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So we can see it's all about the way that we think, these spiritual battles, the arguments, the lofty opinions, um, and we're taking every thought captive. Every lie the devil tells us is for the purpose of making us question who God is. Like with Adam and Eve, did God really say? Is God really good? Does he really want your best? Extolling God Blessing his name and praising him daily is one way of taking every thought captive to obey Christ. It builds our faith in God and starts to make what he says look more logical than what the world portrays as truth. That's how we know that we have renewed minds if what he says comes above what the world portrays as truth to us. So can I encourage you to commit daily to lifting God up in your mind, um, to praising him above every situation that you face. I think it will change your lives. So we've talked a bit now about lifting God up and extolling him and blessing him and praising him. And now we're going to move on to verses 47, which explain a little bit about how David does this. And it's mostly about declaring his greatness to one another. So verse 4 starts with, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So the very least, the very beginning, we can take from this that, well, I think one of the things it points out at the very least is that God is at work in every generation. So we can't ignore that. So if one generation is going to declare it to the other, then he has to have been at work. And so we need to be working out what he's been doing in our generation. What is he doing with us? And then we need to be talking with other generations and learning from them about what he's been doing with them. And this will build our faith and encourage us. Um, we should be able to speak with one another about what God has done with others. 
And so there's a bit of a challenge to spend some time with other generations or even just people at different stages in life and find out what is God doing in their lives? What has God done with them? Um, and there's an opportunity maybe to do that at lunch. Uh, we can spend time maybe with other generations or with, with other people and find out what has God been doing? What, where has God been great in your life? This theme continues in verses 6 and 7 um, of speaking uh, to one another of God's greatness. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. So we speak about it, we sing about it, we reinforce it in our minds by having it on our tongues. So what do we learn from this? Well, speaking about and remembering what God has done brings hope. So there's a big link between memory and hope. Um, you find that in the Bible often. They have memory stones and things like that because it gives them hope for the future. You've got your Ebenezer stone. God has always provided thus far. We expect him to provide in the future. Um, so it's good for us to remember what he's done and we can do this by talking about it with one another, but we can do this by reading books from previous generations and that's one way the previous generation speaks to us. Uh, we can find out what God has done in their lives and be built up in our enthusiasm to do things. My father was uh, inspired by uh, a book written by Brother Andrew about him going behind the Iron Curtain and giving out Bibles. And that made him go to Zimbabwe to give out Bibles because he saw God at work in that and thought Zimbabwe is becoming communist. Let me go and do the same before it shuts down. And so reading what other people have done and seeing how God provides inspired him to trust God to do it with him. Um, and then we just need to have conversations with one another just to, again, have God in our conversations. What is he doing? What has he done? So, verse 5 then goes to on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous words I will meditate. So he's speaking about it, but he spends time thinking about it too. He's meditating on it. On his majesty, on his greatness, and on his wondrous works. Meditating is something that takes time. It's a bit like gazing from last week. You can't meditate in five seconds. You know, you can't just... Oh, I've read scripture, therefore I've meditated. No, it takes time thinking about it. And it's not emptying our minds, but it's filling our minds with truth. Um, Paul talks about setting our minds on things above, not on earthly things. Um, and that's how we meditate. We set our minds on truths, on the things above, not on earthly things. If we're constantly feeding our minds with earthly things then those things will shape how we think and determine our actions. But if we set our minds on God, we will be more godly in the decisions that we make. Before I leave this set of verses, I'd like to just highlight uh, verse 7. Um, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. And ask the question, what do we make God famous for? Um, is it his abundant goodness 
many non-believers I, I speak to about God um, talk about a, a very different God than the one portrayed in these verses. They say, I can't believe in God because he's unjust, unmerciful, unkind. Um, which reminded me of, there's an evangelist, I think it's J. John. There's an evangelist that used to say, um, tell me about the God that you don't believe in and you'll probably find I don't believe in him either. I don't believe in a God who is unjust, unkind, or unmerciful either. Um, I believe in a God who is just and kind and merciful and good. And we need to pour forth the fame of his abundant goodness. Verses 7 to 8 then tell us about how we do that. This is the good news about who God really is. This is what God should be famous for. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is good to all. He has mercy over all he has made. <coughs> this is our message. This is the good news. This is what God should be famous for. But is this what people think about when they hear us talking about God? It's a bit of a challenge to us. The image that many people, non-believers, have about God is an incorrect image. And our job is to make God famous for who he actually is. And we do this by lifting him up and by blessing his name and by praising his name forever and ever. Verses 10 to 12 uh, then state something that's revealed in a few places in Scripture that creation speaks about God and gives him glory. So all your works shall give thanks to you and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the splendor of your kingdom. The fact that they speak about um, God's goodness and his grace and his mercy and they praise God and they think shouldn't be a surprise to us. Earlier in the Psalms, we're told that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. And in Romans 1, we're told that people will have no excuse for not knowing God because what can be known about God, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen and can be understood from what has been made. So we can understand what God is like by looking at the things that he has created. Um, and there's a lot of great sermons about this on the, in, on the internet, about the all factor of God and things like that, where it just points out all the detail in creation and says, this is who God is. Um, and that is a whole nother sermon. I'm not going there today. But... Um, If you want to lift God up in your mind, one of the ways in which you can do it uh, is to consider the lilies and how God clothes them. It's to think about the sparrows and how God feeds them. Um, the way that God has created the world tells us what he's like and what his kingdom is like, what his rule is like, what his power is like. He's a God who created mountains and he also created electrons that give us electricity. He created rain and snow, wind and lightning, elephants and microbes. 
Here's a God who put big burning balls of gas into the sky, some closer to us to light the day, and some further away to light the night. He thought about every detail. This is who God is. So, verses 13 to 20, I'm going to go through.